0: Brains, a podcast exploring the inner workings of our brains and how film and television portray them. Hosted by me, writer-director Heather Taylor. And by me, film and television
1: editor Sarah Taylor. Before we begin, we want to acknowledge that the lands from which we recorded this podcast are part of territories that have long served as a gathering place for diverse Indigenous peoples. And we are thankful, as guests on this land, to be able to live, work, and gather here.
0: On today's episode, we're going to talk about stuttering, We'll deep dive into background factors that can affect whether or not you stutter, the impact of neurological mechanisms underlying stuttering, and how stuttering can affect your day-to-day life. We have the pleasure of having two guests on this episode,
1: Para Elm, a researcher and lecturer in the Department of Neuroscience at Uppsala University in Sweden, and Maya Chupko, the host and creator of the podcast Proud Stutter.
0: A quick reminder to our listeners that this interview should not be taken as medical advice, and it is for informational purposes only. Because everyone's brain is different, please consult your healthcare professional if you have any questions. And without much further ado, here's Perelm. Tell us a little bit about yourself and why you focus your research on stuttering.
2: Well, thank you so much for the invitation. I'm a senior lecturer and researcher at Uppsala University in Sweden, in north of Stockholm. I'm a person who stutter and I think I actually had a quite severe stuttering in school age and, and as a young adult. So what I remember is that I could not, never, I could never really understand my stuttering. So for example, why did I stutter not my friends. And sometimes I could talk fluently and sometimes it was completely blocked. So it was kind of a mystery. So uh, from that point, I wanted to learn more about stuttering. And I started to read psychology. And uh, I was living in Sweden. And at that time, the psychoanalytic interpretation of stuttering was quite popular. So... I actually came to believe that my stuttering was caused by some mysterious unconscious psychological conflict. Oh my goodness. But after a while, my critical thinking stepped in. So I began to question that and also psychoanalysis in general. So so I started started then to read more about the brain and I met some researchers and and was encouraged to get into uh, research about uh, then in neuroscience, so my primary focus uh, in my research has been to try to understand the mechanisms of stuttering and um, the nature of stuttering, so to say this is a big question. but how do you define stuttering basically, I think it 's not really possible to provide a good definition of a phenomena that we don 't uh, really understand yet so in brief i would say that stuttering is a speech disorder characterized by difficulties to move forward in the speech sequence uh, when the person knows what to say.
0: Let's go a little bit into some of the factors that I think that people have been, or that you've been looking at in your research about what can affect you. My first question is, what are some of the background factors
2: that can affect whether or not you stutter? I think that we... Uh, when we consider the causal factors, we have to start with the background, and um, they can be biological or they can be psychosocial, so to say. Uh, and when it comes to stuttering, I would say that the background factors appear to be primarily biological. And um, if we look at stuttering today, uh, it seems it seems like like genetic factors is the dominating. And then in most cases seems to be a combination of a lot of genes. So uh, and that means also that I think you can begin to stutter uh, uh based on genetics even though you don't have any parents or ancestors to stutter, because if you have a sufficient number of genes that combine, you may begin to start a uh starter anyway.
0: Interesting. No, that's because a lot of times you think, well, if no one in my family stuttered, then why do I stutter? You may not think of it as being biological when it can be biological.
2: Yeah. Yes, actually, in my case, I have younger relatives, but not older, who stutter.
0: Oh, interesting.
2: Yes, actually, uh, if we're looking at, at biological factors, they can also be non-genetic. And I think that one of the historically most overlooked type of factors... Um, in, uh, then in neurology, it's actually, actually infections. So uh, now we know about COVID uh, that causes neurological problems. But there's also another mechanism, and that's that the infection is, is triggering the, triggering the, the immune system so that the, so that the immune system is then, um, so say reacting against some molecule in the own body. And basically that can affect any part of the body. And some of these autoimmune disorders are well known, like this rheumatoid arthritis, multiple sclerosis and type 1 diabetes, for example. They're all, they're all autoimmune. I got interested in the the possible connection between stuttering and streptococcal infection several years ago. Um, And the first input came from a study already from 1938. Whoa! <laughs> and that was a, med- a study of the medical history of stuttering children from Chicago, and they looked at the medical records from more than 400 children who stuttered and also children who did not stutter. And the main difference that turned out was that stuttering children had much more frequently severe streptococcal infections before the onset of stuttering. Wow! And that was almost forgotten, but it's still, I think it's still the largest medical study of stuttering children. And that was before penicillin was available. Right. Of course. The second clue to this uh, connection came when I saw, well, I saw a diagram showing the prevalence of stuttering in schools in Palo Alto in California. Mm-hmm. It was from 1945 to 1967. And it was probably published because after 1945, there was a, a very rapid drop in the prevalence in the schools in Palo Alto. Uh, it was, it went down about then two thirds, uh, from 1945 to 1955. I was thinking what could have caused this drop in the number of certain people? Could it be that, uh, that ten, that was introduced? And it turned out that the became available in 1943. Oh. So it seems like that people were able to treat the severe uh, streptococcal infections then, and then the the prevalence of stuttering, it dropped dramatically. Like you don't get to see
0: those effects that fast, like, or you don't normally get to, it's like to see that correlation.
2: Yes, it was a very strong effect. Uh, I should also mention that in 2010, uh, Dr. Jill Maguire published a case report uh, of a child with stuttering suspected to be caused by a streptococcal infection. And also that the stuttering was recovered uh, when the infection was treated. Oh, interesting. Uh, then one additional aspect is that before penicillin was available, there was one very uh, feared a uh, sequel of streptococcal infection, and that was called rheumatic fever. That caused a lot of problems. <laughs> yes. yes, it, it, it and, and rheumatic fever is not so well known anymore, but it was a terrible disease because it of, often affected the heart. So many children died. And it's known that rheumatic fever is specifically caused by streptococcal infection causing this autoimmune reaction. So if this hypothesis was correct, that stuttering also was caused by this mechanism, uh, then we would see that these two disorders, they would decrease in parallel. Mm -hmm. So I was able to find some statistics, uh, actually mortality from rheumatic fever in the United States. And when we correlated that uh, with uh, the uh, uh, prevalence of stuttering in schools, we found a correlation of 0.95. And that means an almost perfect correlation. That's a huge finding. <laughs> yes, I was actually quite surprised. And there's a p-value in statistics, and it showed that the chance that it could be just a coincidence was less than one in a billion. Whoa.
0: Okay. Yeah, that feels pretty pretty spot on. I mean, for research, that does, you don't get it that close, right?
2: <laughs> <laughs> no. So... So, actually, it seems like uh, like one hundred years ago, stuttering it was much more prevalent in in uh, in society. But also at that time, it seems like it was to a large extent a, a post streptococcal disorder. And I think that that one question that arises here is also uh, how is it today? Are there still cases of stuttering caused by streptococcal infections? Um, because that could be important. Because if the, they are are, uh, are detected early, it seems like they are possible to treat uh, with antibiotics. And um, and we have a reason to believe that there are still uh, cases like that, uh, though, even though they are in in a clear minority. So they're not so very common. But uh, I think there's a need for more more research about this. Um, and do you know about pandas this is also a disorder caused by an autoimmune reaction of streptococcal infections and that affects children and it's not very common but it's uh, can be very severe so i would really recommend uh, like s.o.p.s psychologists and medical doctors who's listening today this uh, to uh, to read more about pandas because it seems like children who get stuttering from this from course, they often also show some symptoms of PANDAS. So that way uh, it may be possible to recognize. There's still people who stutter who have not had
0: that infection. Stuttering tends to vary a lot, you know, between different situations. So, you know, can you tell us about the impact of ne- neurological mechanisms
2: underlying stuttering? I would like to uh, begin by highlighting one very recent study, from New York University, there's a group there um, who looked at brain waves just before people who started would begin to say something. And they found that uh, it, uh, something called beta waves, beta waves, uh, they differed between uh, the words that would become started words and the words that would be fluent words. So, um, and beta waves, the brain waves between 12 and 30 hertz, uh, then relatively slow waves. And when we are, are doing some movement, the brain got to uh, suppress those slow waves and gear up to the faster waves. And then otherwise the motor system does not really work well. So um, it seems actually that the uh, disturbing persons have too much of the beta waves. So it seems. I mean, that I'm imagining that is something like if you're driving a car, if mm-hmm. you're trying to start with a handbrake in, without mm-hmm. releasing it. Oh, uh, I see. Yes, yes, it doesn't work. Motor, <laughs> no, the the the, uh, the engine will stall. So, and I think it's the same here. It gets stuck. Do you find is it on certain words all the time, or is it? Can it vary? It's different for different persons, and also it, it can vary over time. Then we can ask, why do stopping persons have these high beta waves? And we really don't know for sure, but we can begin to speculate. And I think that there are probably combination factors, but one aspect may be related to dopamine. I know a lot about dopamine myself. <laughs> yes, it's connected to ADHD. It is? <laughs> <laughs> and well, there has been a suspicion about a connection between dopamine and stuttering for uh, actually some decades.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And one interesting aspect is that if you have low release of dopamine, then you get very high beta waves. Oh, okay. Uh, so, it, so in Parkinson's disease, you're getting very strong beta waves, and that makes the motor system rigid and difficult to move. Oh, okay. So, so, while on the other hand, when you take speed, amphetamine, so uh, then you sort of say release the brake and everything moves. Because you said it's rigid. Is that what affects your larynx and mouth?
0: Like, is that is there an impact on that in terms of, you know, what happens in that area during an instance of studying?
2: We have been looking at what's happening in the larynx and the mouth. It's not really clear, but uh, it seems that. It can be different mechanisms, and one mechanism could be that there are the interfering muscular tension, that there are such a rigid tension, uh, that, that may block the airflow, or it may, uh, it may make the tongue stick to a certain position, or the lips stick together, or so on. So for the struggling person, it may feel like they really sometimes cannot, um, Well, I would say it's a transient disconnection between the will and the motor system. You feel like you're losing control for a moment. Uh, But sometimes we found also that there's no interfering muscular activity, but there's a lack of muscular activity, uh, that uh, um, muscular contraction that should be there, it doesn't happen. And then the speech is interrupted and restarted until it gets started like starting your car. <laughs> like yeah, starting... so it's like the brake is in again. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> so the dopamine, in a way, might be called the master of action mm. because it has a very central role in the brain. It's initiating movements, but it also underlying motivation and what we so say, want to do. So it has, it has many different uh, functions. I think you mentioned the variability of stuttering. From everything I read, like it's very, very t- depending on the person, it can be r- really varied. Yes, and also that from situation to situation, uh, that for one person uh, you may speak fluently in one situation, but then stutter a lot in another. And um, I think this is maybe often it may be called called a hallmark of stuttering because that most motor problems they're kind of. Stable, not varying so much. Probably there are, are different reasons uh, for different patterns. For example, uh, one pattern could be that stuttering children could actually stutter more at home than in school, and that sometimes make parents uh, parents concerned. that They think that uh, is the then is is the child uncomfortable at home. Mm. But I think that in those cases, it's more likely that uh, the child actually is more relaxed at home. Yeah, I was
0: going to uh, say that. Because, <laughs> <laughs>
2: yes, uh, because uh, when you're getting uh, some, so, so more alert and activated, uh, it may actually uh, then stimulate the fluency of the speech. Uh, but there's also another pattern, and that's it's often easier to talk to a cat than to the CEO of the company. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I guess that goes for all people, but <laughs> but especially for persons of stature. I think that has been interpreted in in a psychological way that it should be then anxiety that's behind, and I think that that partly it's correct and partly not. What is of interest here, I think, is that that if you look at dopamine, uh, then the, the release of dopamine in the brain, it's varying from moment to moment depending on the situation. Well, let's say that you are planning to do something or say something, and if you are expecting that this will have a good outcome, people will appreciate what you are doing and so on, then you will... You will have an increased release of dopamine. You will feel motivated and doing it. So, if you're expected that this will be really bad, or <laughs> so, or it's
0: like a big deal, like it's like, oh my gosh, this has to work. Or if it doesn't,
2: yeah. something bad will happen, right? Yeah, and then the release of dopamine tend to go down because. Uh, the brain is protecting us for doing stupid things uh, <laughs> that may hurt us. Hurt okay. us so. <laughs> so, if we're looking at this model with uh, then with the beta waves, we we're saying that when the dopamine activation is low, the beta wave goes up, and the break is in. So, uh, the situational variability that uh, when you're, so to say, nervous to talking to the CEO, it makes the a dopamine release go down. So it could fit with this model. One of the things that
0: that you said was there's a belief of social anxiety as being the cause of stuttering, when really stuttering can be the cause of social anxiety. Like there's... Yes. And so I feel like that's a huge misrepresentation. So can you tell me more about that? And is there other misunderstandings that people have about stuttering that you could clear up for us?
2: Yeah, uh, well, I think that's a very good point you're making there, because it seems like what's so to say, making a person a person who stutters. It seems to be uh, primarily biological factors. Mm-hmm. But then, for a person who stutters, as you say, uh, it's quite obvious that if you're having a um, sort of unpredictable speech problem, it may cause uh, social anxiety. Of course, yeah. So, if you're a person who stutters. Then anxiety can have a, have a role. It's like if you're having a car with a poor electrical system, it may be fine when it's sunny, but don't start when it's rainy. So it's not really the, it's not really the rain that's the problem; it's the electrical system.
0: But <laughs> <laughs> this is ideal to understand because whenever you see someone stutter on film and TV and things like that, it's usually showing, oh, look how nervous they are and they're stuttering. Yes. And so not saying that, that is something that is an experience they're having all the time. And this is emphasizing that m-
2: moment for them. And you asked about if there are other misrepresentations. If going back to history, uh, we can go back to uh, psychoanalysis and they had almost amusing misrepresentations. For example, they had one theory that personal society could be uh, characterized what they called what they call what they call anal sadistic personality. Whoa. <laughs> yes. That is very extreme. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I have that because I
0: started <laughs> I don't know. You seem so you seem good so far. I don't think you're
2: sadistic, but I don't know your whole life, so <laughs> No. <laughs> but anyway, if you look in in the film life of brian hmm it, there it, it there's it one scene uh, with uh, with with uh, eric idol uh, he plays a mad prison god and he's stuttering quite severely and he's saying that it's a think that crucifixion is too good for them oh yeah so it's it's emphasizing the idea of being the sadistic yes character. he's Yes, he's been thinking out something uh, something more nasty than crucifixion, and um, my guess is that someone in in this Monte Python team has studied psychology in Cambridge, where they met, and and then encountered this theory from psychoanalysis and then put it in the film, because otherwise I think it's it's just, it's too strange coincidence. Yeah. So a lot of
0: times that's exactly you look at whether it's from courses you've taken or you research stuff, whatever is of the day, you can utilize those things sometimes, hopefully always in the, the best representation. But mm. in this case, they're trying to like create humor and tie it to something. Mm. And, and sometimes, mm. um, yeah, you have these unfortunate misrepresentations from something that they may have learned.
2: Yeah, so I think also a similar thing uh, could be seen in this a Fish Called Wanda.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, if you remember... Uh, Michael Palin, uh, and then his character was stuttering. And well, he was stuttering quite severely. And then Kevin Klein played someone who was then tormenting him all the time. So he really hated Kevin Klein in that film. Um, So at the end of the film, there was a scene where Michael Palin, he he then ran over Kevin Klein with a, a, a steamroller, pressing him down in cement. And What's interesting there was that 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 from that moment he did that, this, and then his stuttering was uh, gone, so he could speak fluently. So when he followed his aggressive impulse uh, to uh, to run over uh, Kevin Chine, his stuttering was cured. So they're saying
0: it's something about not speaking up and not being able to have your not being able to express yourself.
2: Well, I would say that this is based on the old psychoanalytic theories that stuttering is in some way, uh, uh, it reflects an unconscious conflict uh, based on aggression. so again, I think uh, there was someone studying psychology in that group and uh, because it doesn't work that way, really.
0: I just want to ask you if there's any resources um, that you'd recommend to our listeners about stuttering or, you know, really, where can they read some of your research? Because I think it's really fascinating. Mm
2: -hmm. Thank you. Well, um, there's one that I really could recommend. It it is called the Stuttering Foundation. Uh, It's an organization in the United States. I think they do... uh, A really great job to uh, collecting information and have a newsletter. Um, They can be found at stutteringhelp.org if you would like to read my original papers, the research papers. uh, The three latest uh, are published in the journal called Frontiers, Frontiers in Human Neuroscience. But if one, and they're freely available there. So if one Google, frontiers and stuttering and peralm they will probably show up
0: thank you so much um for joining us today and i really appreciate all of this dopamine is tricky and it affects so many things
2: yes dopamine is the key to much of the brains problems and good things
0: yes so it's great to know like you know that it has such an impact in so many different ways. I mean, just to understand like how it works, I think is really fascinating. So, just thank you for for all of your research and thank you for sharing it with us. And uh, I can't wait to hear what uh, you figure out next. Thank you. It's been it's been an, an
2: an honor and a pleasure being here. Thank you. What a
1: fascinating and insightful look at the research of stuttering. To continue our conversation with another first person account, here's Maya. Maya, thank you so much for joining us on Brains. Brains. We're very excited to have you today. And uh, to start things off,
3: can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your experience with stuttering? I'd be happy to. And thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm so excited to be on speaking with you both. So my whole life, I feel like I've been very misunderstood because a lot of the misrepresentation that we see mostly in pop culture. I think that's where a lot of it stems from. Mm -hmm. So like even my teachers would tell my parents that I was like a little slower than the other kids because I couldn't get my words out as fast. When I was growing up, there'd be periods where I was fluent and didn't really have to worry about it. But then when stuttering would come up, like if I, like I changed schools one year. And so that that kind of led to me stuttering more. And, um, so my stuttering I've noticed often gets triggered with like life changes, like big life changes. And so when I would have a stuttering period where I stuttered a lot, I would kind of shy away and not speak up. And I've, I've had some weird conversations lately where people have thought like I was, unapproachable and stuff like that because yeah like usually in social situations even very recently I just wouldn't really talk a lot <laughs> so there, there's all these like misinterpretations that you wouldn't think but when people don't talk a lot there's just a lot you can judge by that I guess and so it's been very frustrating um, to kind of go through life feeling misunderstood. And so
0: when you were, were little, when did your family first notice, you know, your stutter and like, what kind of things did you have to do or that people thought would help with your stuttering?
3: So as soon as my mom kind of caught on that my stuttering was here to stay and that it wasn't um, something that, because most children outgrossed stuttering. So as soon as she started realizing that, you know, I I wasn't really getting past my stuttering, she put me in speech therapy. And so that was very, I don't have a lot of memories of speech therapy because I was in speech therapy in the schools. And then I was in speech therapy Privately, and so more, most of my memories are in private speech therapy, where I'd have to go after school and do all these tests with the speech therapist, and she'd teach me all these tools that were so annoying, and I never used because I was just like, "This is weird." Um, <laughs> so, I yeah, I, I I wasn't very fond of that time in my life because I just felt like I had to do extra work on myself like school was already like stressful enough (laughs) for me.
0: We kind of talked in advance of this recording and I was really interested in the idea of masking because like as someone with ADHD I also mask a lot and so you know hearing about people masking then you were talking about masking as well for you like how do you mask and what is the toll of that
3: yeah, my masking strategy, I feel like it's very intuitive. It's just something I've learned how to do since I was really young because it's like this psychological response that like stuttering equals pain. Like that's kind of how I think of it because I would just mm. like when I was younger, like every time I opened my mouth, it would just be awful. And so um I think I just psychologically just train myself to not stutter. And not everyone can do that. A lot of people stutter and they can't mask. But for me, um, what I usually do is because there is this disconnection between what I want to say and what I actually say. It's like something going on in my brain where there's like a wire that isn't quite connected. And so when I feel a stutter come on, my automatic response is to just pause and restart. And so a lot of like my family members, really like that were outside of my immediate family, then they didn't know I had a stutter g- growing up. They just thought I paused a lot and had to think about what I wanted to say, mm. which is kind of true. So that's like my big masking strategy is just to to pause. Um, and I feel like I had to do that because of the, the the horrible stuff I experienced as a kid. And I feel like a lot of the memories from when I was really young, I suppressed a lot of them because I just found out from my friend from kindergarten that I was bullied like every day and he saw the bullying happen, but I don't have any, any – like I can't even think about – a moment. So I just feel like it's so deeply down there somewhere, (laughs) all those memories. Do you feel like
0: some, there are some people that you can be more comfortable around? I'm asking this because I feel like that too, (laughs) like you can be more yourself around like people that are close to you and that you don't feel like you have to like use those like masking techniques
3: Yes, definitely. I have like my close group of friends and my fiance, of course, and my parents and my sister. So yeah, there really is like a safe space. But even when I'm with them, I still feel myself masking because it's just something that I'm not even cognizant of. And it's so automatic. So, um, So I think part of Proud stutter and my journey with it is like unlearning a lot of these things. And there's another person who stutters, Jerome Ellis, who's a musician. He has kind of a similar approach in that he's trying to unlearn all of these things too. So I've definitely, there is this like kind of journey of unlearning a lot of the things you've kind of trained yourself t- to do because. And like authenticity also plays a key role in that is like, the more you mask, the more it's like, you're not really showing who you really are. And the harder it is to make those authentic connections with with other people.
1: Well, as I've been listening to Proud Stutter, and I'm loving it, you're talking about to people that do all sorts of different jobs and live different ways. Has that helped you? And is it helping you unlearn some of these things? skills quote unquote, air quote skills that you've done over the years just to mask the sh- the stuttering. And how do you think it's helping others as well?
3: Yeah, it's definitely been like the best therapy. Like I call podcasting my therapy because it's so it's so awesome for me to kind of just process things through stories. And like when people say stuff and I'm like, oh my gosh, like I have thought about that in like 20 years. So there is a lot of this like healing together and that's really awesome. And so ever since the podcast, I've just feel so much more comfortable in my own skin, especially because the thing that I thought was the ugliest part about me now I have to listen to it every day all day. and so it this like it kind of reminds me of um, that type of therapy where you're like just being exposed to like stuff that you're afraid of. And so that's been the most powerful therapy is just hearing myself and now I'm like so comfortable with my voice and I like spoke at a conference. a a few months ago and, and all these people were saying what an amazing public speaker I was, which I'm like, I, I never thought I'd ever get that compliment my whole life. And so, yeah, it's, it's been very therapeutic. And I think another powerful part about it is how it's impacting others. I get emails like every week saying I like, I've never felt so seen before. Like this is really changed my life. And so those notes are just what keeps me going and um it what it, it what what makes me just keep on doing it. It's very hard work as you guys know having a podcast, but it's definitely worth it. <laughs> yes. yes.
0: <laughs> I think it's hard work, but it's like that thing of like wanting to for us to tell these stories and everyone's different experiences because you never know when someone will hear something and say like I feel seen now. And mm-hmm. I feel like I've learned something I didn't know before, or maybe I'll approach the world a little differently or people around me a little differently. And mm-hmm. saying that, how would you like people who don't stutter to interact with you?
3: Something I learned recently from doing an interview is there is this physiological effect that happens when you're experiencing something unknown and so it's only natural for people to react a certain way when they hear a stutter. They're not hearing stuttering a lot. So one of the big things that's part of the, usually when um, someone is interacting with me for the first time and I have a, experience a big stutter or a block, the facial expression is just, it's always the same one. And so my advice for people is just to really pay attention to your facial expressions like yeah it might be uncomfortable but um but yeah the facial expressions is the biggest trigger for us <laughs> or at least for me
1: i think that awareness i think that's really a good thing to to just bring to the forefront being aware of how you present yourself when you're interacting mm-hmm. with a new person or anybody right and i think something that i learned in the bus driver episode I sh- what's, what's the bus driver's name? I should refer to him by his name. <laughs>
3: <laughs> his
1: name's Dustin. Dustin. Okay, so Dustin was saying, "Let me finish. Don't interrupt me. Don't try to find the word that I'm I'm stuttering on." And I catch myself doing that, even with Heather. I'll try to finish her sentence since Heather's opened up about ADHD and disc- yeah, I, I'm trying to catch myself. And even my daughter's like, "Mom, stop interrupting me." So, <laughs> so yeah, it's something that you know, everybody needs to be
3: mindful of and just try to (laughs) be better. Maybe it's just Sarah, be better. (laughs) Yeah. And another thing too is, and I actually, I struggle so hard and I try to be better is some people who stutter that I've spoken to said they don't like when people nod their head when they're stuttering um, and that's just like mm-hmm. my natural way of showing people I'm listening to, to them. So I always catch myself like nodding even when people don't stutter and stutter. So just getting that f- feedback even from a few people, I'm like, oh, shoot, I really need to like <laughs> – and I know it's like all personal, but I'm just trying to like take all that feedback as best I can, I guess. (laughs) There's always stuff to learn. Yeah. Mm. As like Heather and I are nodding the whole time. (laughs) We just nodded the whole time.
1: (laughs) I know. (laughs) No, no,
3: no. It's just an interesting thing
1: to recognize. I've really been thinking about like what I do as an editor and I think about ethics of editing all the time. And so I was thinking, you know, often I'm going through dialogue and I'm taking out ums and ahs and I'm taking out the pauses and I'm like, quotes again, air quotes, cleaning up the st- the sentence. But when I spoke to you, I was like, wait a minute, like that is part, the way people speak is also part of who they are and their authenticity. So what is your approach
3: when you're like editing your podcast? So my approach is very just listening to my instincts. It's very um, intuitive. So I don't really have, like, it, it would be hard to explain it to an editor and I've tried many times cause I am always getting asked from other editors, this, this topic, cause it's, it's, it's very fascinating. Um, but what I do is I just, I leave all the stuttering in, um, and I just feel like I can tell when it's like a, a block or a stutter pause versus mm. like a normal pause Um, Just because I have similar blocks. And so I just try to leave as much in as possible. I do do a lot of editing, but it's not really like the speech part. It's more of just like um, just making everything sound listenable and like no distractions, but trying to just leave the stuttering in as much as possible. I do edit myself sometimes just <laughs> to be just um not really my stuttering but sometimes my speech is just it's sometimes all over the place so sometimes I re-record and all that stuff but for the guests I always just leave their stuttering in although I did have my first ever guest who stutters ask me that when i'm editing if he does experience a big block or a a big stutter to actually edit it out and so that was the first time someone actually said gave me that direction which i'm glad he did because that's totally their call and so um i thought that was awesome that he was advocating for himself and wanting you know to like speak out and you know he's he's not very Like he was very open about his stutter on the show, but he's also like a CEO and founder. And so he does work on his speech a lot. And so it just shows that the variety of how people approach their stuttering. Not everyone is like, I'm just going to stutter all the time and it'll be awesome. But some people do work on it. There are like a lot of things you can do to work on your speech that even sometimes I find myself using tools from like way back in the day just to like get through a day like so sometimes it is helpful to have those tools at your d- disposal, but um but yeah it's it's really just about feeling more comfortable with it when it does come up. It's very individual how people kind of deal with it.
1: Are there any films or TV? on or, or books that deal with stuttering in an accurate way, you think?
3: Oh my gosh, I when I saw this question I was like, yes, I have like a really good example. So, um I just saw the movie It, the Stephen King adaptation, the one from 2017, I think. Have you guys seen that? It's been a while but okay. yes, I saw it. Yeah, so I just saw it. What I will say about it is I had the most wild experience watching it because the main character Stuttered and he actually stuttered in a way that I could relate with, which I was just like, oh my God, that was the first time I'd ever seen stuttering like a main character, the hero of the show or of the, the movie stuttering. And people just treated it like it was normal. Like, no one, I mean, there were a few bullying comments here and there that were annoying, but like, overall, his friends just treated him normally and it was kind of like in the background the whole time it wasn't like the central part of the story so that was the best representation and I'm just like yes more of this I re- I went down a research rabbit hole trying to find out why Stephen King had a main character with a stutter because it was also um, the book the main char- character had a stutter I'm just like what is the story there why did he Because I've never seen that – I mean, there are a lot of books that have people who stutter, but Stephen King is, like, so famous. And so I just really wanted to know what the backstory was there. Um, And I also found out that the director originally was not going to have the stuttering in the film. And then he changed it last minute. And he, like, had the actor actually learn, like – watch and try to like, um, imitate stuttering. And so whatever he did worked because I I thought it was great.
0: Did you find out, (laughs) do we have to like message Stephen King?
3: Oh my gosh. So my, yeah, I think I'm going to have to email him. I doubt he'll respond, but I'm like, who knows? Maybe I can get Stephen King on the podcast. You just never know (laughs) to talk about. I think that would be great.
0: He's active on Twitter. Like, you know, let's just ping him and be like, hey, Mr. King. Really curious.
3: Yeah. (laughs) Oh, my God. And now, of course, I have to to read the book, which is like, I think, 900 pages or something. But but now I'm very intrigued by him. So that's next on my list. Everything else I've seen on a TV and a film has been so awful. So Hopefully someone will be listening out there, some filmmaker, and they'll want to hire me to be a consultant on, on their next film about stutter, a stuttering main character. Who knows?
0: Yeah. <laughs> so what would you like to see?
3: So I have a very specific response to to, to that because I w- I just in, interviewed this author, Laura Gabriel, who wrote a biography on Marion Davis, who is a w- woman who stuttered and um, and she was a silent film actress. So she was able to be successful cause she was a silent film actress. And then once that transition happened from like silent to sound it, she really struggled. And so I want them to make a film about her and I want Emily Blunt to star in it. Cause Emily Blunt has a, a stutter. And so I just want someone who actually stutters to be to be the actor actress. So that's my dream. So please, someone do that.
1: <laughs> I love it. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. I didn't did know, know that. that about Emily Blunt. I
0: read right, Emily Blunt and Stephen King. If you're listening, <laughs> Maya needs to talk to both of you. <laughs> Is there any other, like, tips or things that you would like, other types of representation that you'd like to see that you've never seen before?
3: Yeah, most of the the films or TV shows, when they do have a character that stutters, it's almost always men. So having more women stuttering characters is probably number one. And two, similar to It, the film, having a main character who stutters, but it's not like, it's not like the butt of a joke or seen as, but it's just kind of like a normalized thing. There was a character in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I forgot. I haven't seen it in so long, but I know that there was a character who stuttered in in that. And they were, and it was like never addressed the whole movie. It was just kind of like they stuttered and that was it and so just having more characters where stuttering is just normalized it's like having an accent that's what i want to see and hiring consultants who stutter or if any disability is being represented hiring someone who has like who has that d- disability as a consultant i think would be amazing and i'm like There has to be some policy idea in there somewhere. Just giving more, like requiring more resources dedicated to consultants in that space, I think would be really awesome.
0: Yes, agreed. Um, I just did a lab with a a company called Respectability. They are advocating for disability inclusion and representation in film and television and in entertainment across the board. And um, that's exactly it. They're like, We want you to have consultants, but not one consultant, multiple consultants, because we are not a monolith. We all have our own experiences, our own intersectionality. You should have multiple points of view when you're talking about these subjects. Um, You should have people in your writer's room, people on set, actors, directors, everyone. Like, there needs to be better representation across the board. And exactly that, it's like having those people with experiences creates you know, a richer, more textured world that they're trying to create so that you can avoid some of those pitfalls or that it always has to be centered around the disability versus people existing in the world, which is what I want to see more of. I'm working
1: on a show right now where they had accessibility training for the crew, which is the first time I've ever had that. The show is about people who have physical disabilities. They have an accessibility coordinator on set and and they, you know, reach out, like, what's the best thing for you when, in your work environment? How can we make it, you know, make life easier for you? What do you need? And that's for everybody. And so, mm-hmm. and then we had to take a class about, like, what is disability? And 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 for editors of a show like that, of course, it was great for me to understand a little bit more. So when I can tell a more authentic story, but I feel like every show, if we need to be educated, I feel like, in all sorts of aspects of the film industry. And to take courses like that when we start a show so that we, the whole crew is aware of what's
3: happening and learns more. That's awesome to hear that that's happening. Um, And I love respectability. So big fan of theirs.
0: Tell us more about where we can find you and your podcast, but also if there's any other resources that you think um, listeners should engage with to know more about and learn more about stuttering.
3: Yeah. So definitely listen to proud stutter. We have, I think around over 30 episodes out now, um, on a whole bunch of different topics. And what's cool about season two, which we're in right now, is every episode I have a different co host that doesn't stutter so they can kind of learn along with the audience that may not have a stutter that themselves. And so it just opens up our audience a little bit. Um, because, of course, first and foremost, this is for a podcast for the stuttering community, but it's also for loved ones. And other people that might be curious about it. Um, and there's another podcast that I love called Stutter Conversations, and it's hosted by a 16 year old girl from Australia, and she's like the I love her. Like we've we email all of the time. Um, so that's a great one. Um, she it's all about just interviewing like young people who stutter which I think is such a great, um, such a good focus. Um, and then the, the final resource I will recommend, although there's a ton of, um, um, I already mentioned him. Jerome Ellis is a musician and he has an album out called the clearing. And that is all about like stuttering and he mixes in like, Um, Black history, philosophy, like all these things intersect and it's just so beautiful. And even if you don't stutter, it's just such a great way to learn about stuttering through this medium that's like poetic and music and all these things. So definitely recommend that as well.
1: I want to give you a big cheers because you had 20,000 downloads. Is that what I just saw on Instagram? So
3: your podcast is doing very well. So congratulations on that. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's that was a big one.
0: <laughs> is there any last thing that you would like to leave us and our audience with before we say goodbye?
3: I would just like to say that we're building a stuttering verbal diversity movement at proud stutter, but we just invite everyone, even if you don't stutter to join us, because whether you know it or not, you probably uh, know someone who stutters or interact with someone who stutters. We're everywhere. We're 1% of the population. So just, um, yeah, join us and, um, yeah, just get involved. And we'd love to kind of, have you and there'll be a lot of opportunities to just get involved so and thank you both so much like i found you guys on twitter this podcast idea and show is just amazing and i just love what you're doing and so thank you so much for having me on it's been really fun
0: oh thank you no, thank you you've been great
1: i have to say that since we first met with maya I have been listening to Proud Stutter and the work she's doing is amazing. And I feel like everybody needs to go listen because she does a really fine job. And and she just interviews amazing people from different walks of life. And I think it's fantastic.
0: I think there's a lot of amazing work that people are doing and taking upon themselves to help educate others about, you know, whatever, whether it's a condition or disorder or disability, so that they can there can be more education in the world, more understanding from a person perspective, because everything is so nuanced and as we always mm-hmm. talk about it's not a monolith and yeah. we have to continue to hear all these different conversations and different points of view so we can understand that that exact point that it's not one perspective mm-hmm. there's just mm-hmm. so many perspectives
1: yeah and i think that's why like things like what maya's doing and even the research that parra's doing like how mm. cool and like i just love how he was like i thought huh is it a psychological thing no I need to investigate this myself. I was like, that's so cool.
0: (laughs) Yeah, can you imagine? Like, I just love the fact that that affected his, that changed his whole course of life. Not only like this is, I'm being impacted by stuttering. I'm going to go and research and find really fascinating things and the the connection between a virus and stuttering and the impact on the brain. And I also think that we need to have, you know, kind of thinking back to our last episode where we talked to Erin and she said the importance of representation on screen, um, with celebrities, like the fact that there was a president, um, who had MS on the West wing. Well, we have a president of America who has a stutter. Yeah. And so he is very open about that. He talks about it and he's like, you know, when I'm tired and nervous and all those things that Maya was talking about is exactly the same thing. Mm -hmm. So I guess we should talk about some good things, some awesome things. (laughs) I,
1: had a very intense last couple of weeks so I'm like drawing blanks on what's awesome because I'm feeling overwhelmed but I think the fact that I can I'm way more in tune with my mental health to know like how to stop and say this isn't working for me and like yeah maybe I still had to do a couple 12-hour days but I was very vocal about this is not the norm and I think you know, Sarah from five years ago would have just pushed through, and then would have like been angry and upset for like weeks. Mm-hmm. So, therapy is awesome. That's what I'll say. <laughs> my new therapist is awesome. Um, working through this generalized anxiety disorder workbook that I'm doing with with my therapist has been really helpful to give me new insight into how my anxiety uh, presents and what things are coming from anxiety versus what. I might think are just normal. Mm. So it's just giving me great insight into how I can live life in a different way.
0: I'm about to embark on a five-day trip to Boston because it is Thanksgiving in the U.S. and it will just have passed when this um, podcast comes out. And so I'm off to have those five days. And yeah, it's strange because Canada, things keep going. (laughs) The U.S., everything shuts down and then starts to continue to shut down. They always say like, In film and television, you have to get everything done before Thanksgiving or nothing gets done. So we're handing something in. I was told my producer, like, hey, we have to hand this in (laughs) before the holidays for someone to review, I think, and then take to the wider group. So it's this level of, like, expectations and making sure you have advocates. And it happens all the way along the journey of a project. Mm -hmm. I'm in this weird place right now where there's a bunch of projects that are about to come to life where I'm going to have to do a lot of work. And some of which I think I may have to work on over the holidays coming up. And so I'm trying to figure out when do I rest Mm -hmm. because I can't go into it burnt out. I was really aware of of that earlier in September where I came into the month of hurt because I was so already so burnt out. And I realized that burning ourselves out in the pursuit of being able to do our art then by the time we get to do our art, we don't have any capacity for it. Totally. Yeah. So I'm trying to balance that need to my internal. <laughs> Your hamster wheel in real fast. <laughs> well, there's, there's a bunch of stuff, right? So there's ADHD hamster wheel, which is a true thing. Like I can't help it. Like I'll say, for example, two nights ago, it was overwhelming. Like my thoughts were running through a script problem.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: So it was going, trying to figure it out. And then the room was really loud. Like the window was open and there was noises outside. And then I could just hear like the minutest movement of my husband. And then mm. I could hear the the radiators going. And I was like, I can't. And I just left the room and I slept in the couch because I was so overwhelmed by my own internal information yeah, going, yeah. like just going wild. And then all the other sounds around it. I think in that moment, I was just so exhausted and it's like, I need to sleep. And I get this thing where I feel like I have to, this sounds really strange. I don't know how how if other people feel this way but it's like I feel like I have to stretch my insides like I'm so like everything's moving so everything's so fast like it's like I'm like oh if I could just like stretch my if I could just find some release mm. that would let myself relax I've been being taught this relaxation
1: method through the anxiety stuff I'm doing and it's like tense, you tense and release and you do mm-hmm. 16 body parts and then yes, I know that. Then, one. Yeah, yeah. And then you go to eat and then you basically eventually get, get to the point where you can just tense and then relax. And it's that idea that you're so always physically tense that you need mm-hmm. to remind your body how to like what it feels like to release. And so that's been like a big thing that I've been, well, I'm supposed to do it every day for 15 minutes, but it's a work in progress. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I just have a hard time relaxing.
1: Well, and you're like in this real this mode of get stuff done right now because you have these deadlines, and that's kind of I'm in the same yes, spot. That's part of it with work. Yeah. So <clears throat> when you know you have things you could be doing, I think we're similar in this regard. Yeah. Like, well, why I shouldn't just sit here and read a book? I should be editing a podcast or reviewing these
0: notes or yeah. writing this thing. That's part of it, and it's weird. It's a mix of things. It's a mix of the I always say like it's a mix of that that you know you know, frankly, being that poor kid and like, you have to just like, people say you, uh, eat what you hunt. And so I think there's always that mentality in me, which is why I was burning myself out, just like pitching and trying to get ideas out and like meeting as much people as possible and doing all this work, um, was because I had that, that thing in mind of like, I have to just keep going. And even when I'm, Oh, I've handed this thing in, like I have scripts, I need to finish writing. But can I not just take a day? Like, can I not take a day?
1: You can. We're like the same human in some cases when it comes to this stuff. And we have the same background in that capacity. Well, yeah, I guess that makes sense. Yeah.
0: We have parents who are people who bo- both work really hard. They they are always looking to do like, our mom just is like, oh, I decided today I'm going to paint the floor. <laughs> redo, the, redo the entire floor of the living room. Yeah. In a day and I'll move everything by myself. And I'm just like, like oh my gosh. mom.
1: <laughs> but that's what we do on the work side of yes. like, oh, I'm gonna just do the script right now in four days, or I'm gonna edit this thing like in three yeah. hours on a Sunday instead of taking the day off. Yeah, which like, is what I did. Which is what I did. Yes, too.
0: recently. Yes. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> anyway, though, one quick fun thing that I just recently, me and my our cousin who's like the best, we love, we love you, Anne.
0: Shout out, Anne.
1: woo woo! woo. We all uh, we had a mini vacation to L.A. and it was really nice to like. I took my kid to the ocean and like she'd been to the ocean when she's little, but didn't really remember and like just fascinated with running in the waves. So she got soaking wet sand everywhere, but she was like pure joy. And in one, in that moment I was like, th- these are the things where we need to pause and just like let ourselves soak in the sun and the waves and the ocean and the salt and the sand. And, um, and so I was trying to be very present and, and aware. And so it was just like, Like even just pausing and looking at the palm trees and, you know, just being in the sunshine. So that was a real nice joy spot in my two weeks of
0: intense times. We have to remember that.
1: Be a six-year-old running in the ocean.
0: Yes, that's what we'll leave everyone with today. Be a six-year-old running in the ocean. Think of everyone like the cat and not the CEO. Thanks, Per. So thank you everyone for listening to today's episode of Brains. Brains is hosted and produced by Heather and Sarah Taylor and mixed and mastered by Tony Bao. Our theme song is by our little brother, Depish, and our graphics were created by Perpetual Notion. If you like what you hear, please rate and review us and
1: tell your friends to tune in. You can reach us on Instagram or Twitter at Brains Podcast, spelled B-R-T-I-A-I-N-S Podcast. You can also go to our website, BrainsPodcast.com, where you can contact us, subscribe, and find out a little bit more about who we are and what we do. Until next time, I'm your host, Sarah.
0: And I'm your host, Heather. Bye!